Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode, or really, this is probably the first episode you're hearing of Eye on the Ball because of uh, various technical difficulties. This will be the first one you've ever heard, even though we recorded two before this. So welcome this week. I don't think they need to know about the two previous ones, but whatever. Hey, whatever. <laughs> we, we, you know, we can talk about that. So what we're going to try to do here is just talk a little bit about some sports topics that are going on in this week in the, the world, the world of sports, that is, the agony of defeat thrill of victory all that good stuff we're gonna focus more i guess a little bit on the positive which will be a little bit different but of course you know there's there's a lot to talk about sometimes it won't all be completely positive but the idea here is to not just uh, talk about all the the drama and the soap opera that are involved with sports but to focus on some of the things that uh you know we're gonna keep our eye on the ball so i'm here with my co-host matt i'm cameron we're gonna just be discussing some topics and one of the first things that comes to mind for me this week coming up Olympics. Got Zika. We got security issues. Zika. And we got all kinds of stuff going on down there. So Matt, what do you what do you say about the what, what do you say? Well, I mean, honestly, it's the Olympics, Summer Olympics, which happen to be my favorite. I like watching the basketball, but honestly, except for like those two Olympics in like the mid to late early two thousands when. We didn't fare so well because we didn't send the best team. Yeah. The last, like, two or three, it's like, okay, we just dominate. I mean, we we have the best players on the planet when it comes to basketball for the most part. This year is going to be a bit of a, a mixed bag because the only two that are coming back from the last Olympic team are Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony. One, that's a pretty good start if you ask me. But you also have the Splash Brothers, Clay Thompson and... Uh, Steph Curry from Golden State, Draymond Green's in there as well. I mean, it's a stacked it's a stacked roster, and we all like. I know you and I both remember the original Dream Team yeah, from '92 in does. Barcelona, but that was back in a time when, around the world, basketball wasn't as popular as it is now. That's what kickstarted everything that brought guys like Tony Kukoc and Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, you, you pretty much name a lot of the foreign players. Mm-hmm. Most of them have been in there in the past 25 years. You have like a Drazen Petrovic and a Vladik Divac from the early, like late 80s, early 90s, before all this international boom for the NBA came around in the late, late 90s, early 2000s, and even up until today. I mean, just look at last year. The number four pick overall, New York Knicks, Christoph Porzingis. Everyone thought he was going to be a flop. He's actually been a lot better than people thought. So, you know, so far, so good. So that 1992 Olympic dream team, um, you know, with Barkley and Jordan and with Patrick Ewing and John Stockton and uh, all those guys. Uh, I actually have a poster of them somewhere. Um, when, that, when that was first announced, what were your impressions, thoughts on that, Matt? Like that, uh, that Olympic team going to play in the Olympics for the gold medal. I mean, to me, that was a true all-star team in the sense of, like, you know, most all-star games, no one gives their 100% effort. You know, they don't play. They're not there to play. But this was a team that was going to play the best players in the NBA playing as well as they could to win something. You know, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, my thoughts is, first of all, in 1992, I was 13. So... Kind of in the grand scope of things, I didn't know a whole lot. But at the time, and as I've said before in previous editions, even though this is the first one most people will hear, I've been a Lakers fan my entire life. Mostly I'm a Philly fan. However, when it comes to the Lakers, that's what I watched when I was a kid because that's usually what was on in the 80s. So I loved it that Magic Johnson, who unfortunately in November, November, I believe 7th of 1991 had to retire due to finding out he contracted HIV only to find out a couple months later that he's going to be on this Olympic team that's going to be going to Barcelona yeah. plus like you said Jordan Pippen, Charles Barkley mm-hmm. Larry Larry yeah, Bird right. <laughs> I mean you pretty much name it and it's also Chris Mullins as you said Patrick Ewan, Christian Leitner was on that that's team right, as well yeah, I forgot about that too I think we pretty much hit the major ones. Oh, I think Dominique Wilkins was on the team. And I don't think Isaiah Thomas was, but I can't remember. I kind of remember him being in a poster. 
I don't remember if he was or not. I'm, I'm drawing well, I, a blank on that know, one, to be honest with you. And that's an amazing era of NBA anyways. And oh. then to have those guys together, some of the, like, I mean, the greats of the greats are playing there. For sure, Jordan, of course. I was always a big Barkley fan, being a 76er fan back in the day. So, you know, it's an amazing team that went out there to play in the Olympics. And like you said, we're going to have some probably a pretty good dominant team this year. Um, but it'll, it'll be fun. But the thing about the Olympics that, um, unless you had some more to add about the uh, Dream Team, is I was going to kind of move on to just a more general discussion of the Olympics here. Well, not much. I'm just trying to verify the whole thing with um, with the guys that were on the team. Just to okay, here, here we go. I got it. Christian Leitner, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing. Oh, David Robinson. I, I, I forgot about the yeah. Admiral. Yes, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, obviously Jordan, Clyde Drexler, Clyde Carl- Clyde. Carl Malone. Oh, yeah, the mailman. John Stockton, Chris Mullen, Charles Barkley, and Magic Johnson. Wow, that's it. I think what happened with uh, Isaiah Thomas was he was going to be on the team, but I don't know exactly what happened with that. There's kind of some controversy with all that, but regardless, he probably should have been on the team, but you can't argue with the team Mm -hmm. that we took over to Barcelona. Yeah. And, of course, that team, no matter what team we played in 92, it was pretty much just, okay, you can show up, but we're going to bet we're gonna throw at least 100 on you. And in most games, it was like 120 to like 60. I mean, it, it was no contest, none whatsoever. Um, you know, and I also remember um, they, they would show documentaries, or maybe it was news reports. I don't remember. There was some show that used to be on Saturday mornings. I can't remember. I think it was... Um, Oh, man. Inside Hoops or something like that. I forget what it was called. Oh, you're talking about Inside the NBA. Yeah, With yeah. Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's the one. Back That's when actually we... still on the NBA Network. Just right, so back know. when we were a kid. It used to be on Saturday morning. I remember... I, I it think Sundays, it was... but anyway. I think well, it was one of the weekend mornings. It was on a weekend day. That's all that matters. But I, I remember what you're talking my, about. My yeah. point is, uh, I think I remember, and I think it was that show of when those guys went over there, they would play the teams, and then afterwards everybody would go up to them and like ask for autographs, or before the games, ask for oh, autographs. Oh, yeah, yeah, and... exactly. It's kind, of, it's kind of like what I equate to soccer these days, where the, the two captains in most cases in soccer, whether it's – most of it's in like the, the European leagues or in like the World Cup, the captains will normally exchange jerseys. Right. It's kind of the same thing that you're talking about there, where, yeah, I mean, like, like we said – this was the first time ever in the Olympics that professional basketball players were allowed to play in the Olympics. Mm, right, right. So well, everyone was everyone was awestruck with this. Was it the first time that they were the first time they were allowed to play, or first time U.S. professionals were allowed to play? No, first time any professionals were allowed to play. No, it might might be just be U.S. I'm sorry, I might be wrong on that. This is where things get fuzzy because we just don't remember things anymore. Move. 26 years ago, so. <laughs> exactly, 26 years. Or no, it would be 26. Or whatever it was. It'd be 24, yeah. yeah so geez, I, it, I can't took, even do math anymore. It took a second for the math, because uh, remember, Olympics, every four years. Yeah, yeah. Every four years. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, they did that type of stuff, and it was kind of cool, because I don't know if you ever saw the documentary on it, but on NBA TV, it was probably about three years ago maybe they actually did a documentary on the dream team i saw it It was actually pretty good and it documented everything like it would show them a little bit at practice and it also talked about that where they would go like after the games or even sometimes like you said before the games and meet these players from all across the world who would just be awestruck because they're used to watching them now all of a sudden here they are in real life these days, it's not as big as it was because, as we said earlier, you have more and more European players and players from across the world in general that are playing in the NBA than what they did before. Sure. So they're not as awestruck as they used to be. Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah, it's just a nice thing. But uh, kind of moving on to just the Olympics in general, the, the thing that's really neat about the Olympics is, you know, there's a lot of sports that of course you don't really like pay attention to during the rest of the year or maybe what you know occasionally you'll see them on tv but that you really can get into for these two weeks you know like swimming and uh gymnastics gymnastics which i always find uh, the great to watch very exciting and neat (laughs) 
All of a sudden, I become an expert, though, for two weeks during. <laughs> I, I was I was actually going to say the same thing because I find myself like. That fault e- looked awesome. <laughs> even in the Olympic trials, like yeah, yeah. I saw they were on at like seven, eight o'clock at night, and I'm like, I can't watch. I can't watch gymnastics sure, because yeah. it's. Ju- I like to watch it when it's the whole world, right? And it's kind of like diving, like synchronized swimming, like you would said and stuff. It's like I would never watch diving. But I want to see that guy do the two and a half and three quarters pike off the high dive yeah, you, you just... in, in the reverse position and get no splash. And I'm thinking about me going off the high dive and I'm just some big oaf and I have this huge splash because I did a freaking bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and you become like, an, oh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. It was a nice entry right there. All of a sudden, you know everything about this sport that you never paid that much attention to. I know, to and like when, when they slow, when they show the slow-mo of them going into the water, okay, are his hands in perfect position? <laughs> are his legs straight up? Are his yeah. toes curled? I'm like, really? Yeah. But this is something we're not accustomed to because mainly we're a mainstream sport sports fans between the two of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Basketball a little bit, mostly baseball and football, and a little bit of hockey. But for this I don't know how many days it is, 15, 20 days or whatever it is. In August, the whole world converges on one spot, whether you're there or you're watching from thousands of miles sure, away. Yeah. You know, and, and and this is kind of a good segue in here because this is something we discussed. You know, the location is Rio. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Any other time of the, the, of the year, Rio would be the destination to go. This year, though, you have Zika. Mm-hmm. However, interesting point I heard the other day on the radio. Think about this. We're in the northern hemisphere. We're in summer. The yeah. southern hemisphere, they're in their winter. Right, yeah. So it's cooler. There's not as many mosquitoes. So they're basically saying the chance of someone contracting Zika this time of the year is roughly like 10%. But it's more... It's more if you're pregnant or plan on getting pregnant, that you end up having the right. greater risk. Anyway, back to the Olympics point. When they did the bid for these games, Rio was like pretty much perfect. Now, since then, it's gone completely downhill. There's all this muck in the water. There's all these types of viruses and stuff you can contract. Basically, it's to the point where it seems like the rowers, which are, seems to be the main ones, they have to more or less basically have a hazmat suit on, from what I understand, to not contract anything, which is ridiculous. I mean, you're in Rio. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not stinking hot like it normally would be, but you're trying to enjoy this, and you're in mucked-up water that they can't seem to do anything with, and, you know, they're they're raw sewage that's going into the water... They're finding dead bodies, body parts. I mean, they're, it, it's a mess. And they keep saying they try to get it corrected, and it still hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're only getting that negative side of it, and there's a brighter side, which I have heard in some reports that the Zika outbreak isn't as bad as it was originally back months ago when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as I said, with a doctor who's, not down in that area, but one of our doctors here in the United States basically did, you know, read studies and stuff and said, it's okay. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. I am, you know, tomorrow night's the, the opening ceremonies. I'm very intrigued. I can't wait to see it. I'm not probably going to catch much of it due to uh, personal matters I have to tend to. However, I'm going to watch the Olympics. I'm going to enjoy it. I just don't, I don't know what to expect. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm very intrigued as to a lot of different elements. One element is Michael Phelps coming back. Mm-hmm. He's not in as many events as he was in before. However, he's an Olympian now for the fifth time. Yeah, and I'll, I think I think he's more or less kind of favored to win at least one gold medal. But I don't I don't know what'll happen because are we going to get Michael Phelps of four years ago? Or are we going to get Michael Phelps of eight years ago when he was completely dominant? Or are we going to get Michael Phelps from the trials a couple years ago when he wasn't so great, but still made the team? I guess we'll have to see. Oh, we definitely will. Like I said, I'm interested. I mean, 
thankfully for once it's in the same time zone we're relatively in. Yeah. <laughs> it might be off by an hour or so, but it's not like it's halfway across the world in Beijing or London where everything is either kind of tape delayed or it's on at 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be looking forward to that. So it'll be nice. We got the track and field will also be nice. I always enjoy seeing those. That's yes, that's yes. A, you know, really just a brutal sport. You know, I mean that in the sense of like you just pour your heart out there when you're on that track, running as fast as you can. Got the women's soccer, of course, will be a big thing here because of the dominance of the U.S. team. Wait a minute, wait, let's back up a second. You said track and field, but you only remember, you only mentioned things that are on the track. There are field events, you know, javelin, course, yes, uh, discus, hammer, shot put. I only say that because in high school, I didn't do the track events. I did the field events. I, I can't go through an entire list of every <laughs> Olympic event here. Uh, we, we don't have all night. but uh. I, Well, I wasn't intending on that. I'm just saying you're <laughs> you're omitting things when you say track and field. There are other things just on the track. So, But but we digress. Yeah, so, the, you know, it'll be exciting. And uh, those will be fun nights. Gymnastics are always uh, exciting in, in my household anyways. The again, floor exercise will be lovely. Uh-huh. Again, I become like an expert on all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, kind of like in the Winter Olympics yeah, when it comes to skating. Yeah, figure skating. Oh, that wasn't a very tight triple lutz. Oh, yes. Like what? I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm saying it. <laughs> what do you think of that? Look at that bolt. <laughs> all yeah. right, all right. So, like, oh wait, look at the way she twirls the ribbon on the floor exercise. I'm like, what kind of an idiot have I become? Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have some other things to say about the Olympics on other shows, but let's keep uh, moving on here. Uh, what do you want to get? NFL training camp? Yeah, we can touch on it a little bit. I mean, I I haven't really paying a whole lot of attention to it. The main thing... It's too early for me. It is. It really is. I mean, camp just started last week. We're really a week into it. You know, the the big thing I saw the other day was apparently someone took a bad photo of Tony Romo where her shirt was a little puffed up, which made him look like a... Basically, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is where they were making out to be. This is news. Apparently so. I mean, okay, think about it. Tony Romo. Tony Romo broke his sh- broke his yeah. clavicle twice last year. Sure. He's pretty much everyone says he's the reason Dallas stinks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Tony Romo is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. As much as I despise him being an Eagles fan, you as an Eagles fan, that's kind of a hard statement for you. It, to it, make. it is. Uh... I mean, but think about what we've come from. We went from, you know. Ron Jaworski, which went into Randall Cunningham, yeah, two two really good quarterbacks, then kind of went into the muck and the mire of like the Jim McMahon, Rodney Pete, and who I forgot all about Rodney Pete. Who man. whoever was whoever else was in that convoluted mess in the late '80s, kind of early '90s. Then it went to guys like Bobby Hoying, um, Coy Detmer, Ty Detmer, <laughs> Doug Peterson. And now we finally bridge the gap to Donovan McNabb, who's stuck in town for 10 or 11 years, whatever it was. Then you have the Michael Vick era. You had, uh, who was the guy? Oh, Kevin Cobb, who had a couple good games, then he got shipped out. And then you move on to Nick Foles, who Nick Foles came into whoever the heck was after Nick Foles. Oh, Michael Vick again. Yeah. <laughs> And then you you get into the whole mess of Nick Foles, and then it's Sam Bradford gets oh. traded for Nick Foles. So now Foles goes to St. Louis at the time. Bradford comes to Philly, coming off of an injury. So he didn't have a great camp because he couldn't be in camp as much as he should have been. And, and you know, kind of bringing it back to Romo, it's like, okay, now here's Tony Romo, hopefully fully healed off of his shoulder injury. And I hope he is. I I do not wish any ill will towards quarterbacks anymore. Do I want them knocked out of the game? Sure. Do I want them knocked out of a season? Not really. I'm not 12 anymore when I want a Troy Aikman laying on his back and cart it off. That, that That's when I was a kid. I'm an adult now. I understand it. You know, it's not as bad as it used to be. But it's just kind of one of those things that, yes, it's hard for me to say Tony Romo. I would probably say he's a top 10. I don't think he's a top 5 quarterback. Because now that Peyton Manning's retired, you have to go to Brady, Roethlisberger, Rodgers, Andrew Luck when he's completely healthy, Russell Wilson, and they they can be interchangeable in order. It doesn't really matter who you put there, but Tony Romo is definitely in the top ten. 
Tony Romo is one of the best quarterbacks. He, he gets knocked because he's in Dallas, and everybody knows at least one Dallas fan. And if you know one, you probably know 100. <laughs> because if you grew up in the 70s, most people are either Pittsburgh or Dallas fans or Oakland fans. Hmm. You grew up in the early 90s, it's either the Cowboys or the 49ers, and maybe a couple Packers fans sprinkled in here and there. Right. So, I mean, for the most part, if you say anything about Romo, you have one person who's a Dallas fan who's like, oh my God, he's the worst. He's the worst quarterback we've ever had in our entire in our entire franchise. Like, no, you had like Steve Berline and some other guys, Steve Walsh, who were pretty bad in my opinion. And just look at what happened last year when Romo went out. Romo gets hurt. They only won one game from the remaining starters. One game. So, I'm sorry. As far as I'm concerned, if you lose your quarterback and your record's crap as it was last year, this year looks like it's pretty good. They got the same offensive line. They got Romo coming back. I don't know what to make of um, Darren McFadden, that whole thing. I don't know if you heard about that, but he... Supposedly was carrying a phone and dropped it. Said he was carrying something else and he did something to like his wrist or something. So he's out for a little bit. And they draft Zeke Elliott out of Ohio State. They have the good receivers. They have a decent tight end in Witten. So, I mean, the NFC East this year is, you know, it could go back to Dallas if it does fine. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I know the Eagles are kind of in that mediocre stage until we see better. But You're hurting me. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest. I don't know what I, I don't know what Sam Bradford's going to be. I really don't. I don't know what receivers are going to show up. And now that DeMarco Murray was shipped off to Tennessee, you have Darren Sproles and Ryan Matthews as your running backs. Now, you still have two really good tight ends in Zach Ertz and Brent Selleck. I mean, at one time, Brent Selleck was like a top five tight end in the league. Zach Ertz is kind of trying to take over that mantle a little bit where he's top, not top five yet, but top ten, definitely. And, you know, it's a lot. And then defense is going to be the biggest part because Jim Swartz comes in as the defensive coordinator. Instead of being in the 3-4 that they were last year, they're now switching to a 4-3. And they have that wide nine up front where that the defensive ends are out wide to put pressure on the quarterback. So basically now they're playing into some of the strengths of the guys they already have on the team. Because Fletcher Cox, who don't get me wrong, I don't I don't care where you put Fletcher Cox on that line. Defensive tackle as head up on the center or have him as a D tackle like on the guard or inside of the center, wherever you want, defensive end, he's a stud. He got paid this summer, and I'm glad he did because if he would have left Philly uh, to me, that would have been almost like Reggie White all over again back in 93 wow. when he signed with the Packers because you let a guy like that go, and, and they they moved up in the draft to get him in like 2012 or, or whatever year it was, maybe up 2011, and they move up to get him. I thought it was a reach, but after year one, he was pretty good. Year two, I was like, what happened? Yeah. This guy is amazing. I am so glad Philly picked him up. I just wish along the, along the last couple of years, they would have picked up some more pieces, mainly at linebacker in the secondary, mostly safety. But, hey, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm actually intrigued more about the defense and the offense. Offense question marks, defense is the biggest question mark, simply because of the linebacker play. And then the secondary is kind of figuring out, one, who the corners are and – who the safeties are going to be. Right. Obviously, we know who the safeties are going to be. One is Jenkins, and I'm drawing a blank. I think uh, Walter Thurman, I think, is the other one. And I could be wrong on that, but anyway. Regardless, I, I see you want to move on to something else. No, no, uh, no, okay. you keep talking. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but uh, just, it's just nice to know that uh, NFL football is right around the corner. It's, it uh, is. It's nice thing when you see training camps going on, and it's August here. And... Oh, and one thing it just, just clicked in my head as you were saying that about I don't know why August, but I saw something funny when I turned on Sports Center the other night. Apparently, Drew Brees, Luke McCown, and I forget who the third string quarterback is in New Orleans, they're doing this quarterback challenge hmm. like every day in camp. Okay. What are they doing? Well, the one the one that I caught 
is they were taking like these they call them tackling rings mm-hmm. more or less it's just a big foam ring with a pat with a cover on it and a hole in the middle yeah. one is like one size one's a little bit bigger and they were taking them like one one of the other quarterbacks would be on each side and they would roll it across mm-hmm. and basically if you got it in the big hole it was one point if you got it in the smaller hole it was two or something along those lines and if you managed to get it through both of them at the same time it was like six points gotcha and it seemed pretty cool and i thought it was funny breeze almost almost got the one but he he only got one point mccown is the one that actually won with like seven points or something like that or six points i was like what the heck (laughs) but i mean it it all depends on how it rolls and if it turns or anything because that happened to one of them but it was pretty funny to see that that even though a guy like drew breeze at his stage in his career he's still trying to make it fun yeah, a little viral marketing there as well. And, and they did one that's like, I saw, I didn't didn't see all the details on it, but they did one something with barbecue, and I saw a picture of them all, like, holding, like, one guy was holding a rack of ribs. I'm and getting hungry now. <laughs> I, I, I know, I am too. I haven't really eaten a whole lot today, but anyway, it's a different story. <laughs> but I, honestly, yes, you're right. A weekend, there's not a whole lot going on with, mm-hmm. with training camp. And this weekend is the Hall of Fame game. Hall of Fame inductions are, are this coming weekend as well. So, well, one, that's a good transition right there. It happens every once in a while. I've done two during this podcast, so I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the <laughs> oh way. Oh my god, this is crazy. I, I, I might, ju- I, I might, I might just need to pack it in now, and you can take over the rest. But anyway, um, no. <laughs> but it, you know, Hall of Fame inductions, Hall of Fame game, obviously. So after that is kind of when things start to get a little cranked up because now. Now you're getting into week two, roughly, of of training camp, where now guys are starting to look towards games on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And, of course, the occasional Monday night game. And it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, everything's gone now, but it's like, all right, we, we want the meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're Central Pennsylvania boys. We grew up on meat and potatoes. That's what we want for our football. Right. I, I, kind, of, I kind of would like for them to go to, like, two preseason games not add anything to the regular season but just take away two preseason games and you can have like scrimmages with other teams however you want to do it and just have two games but I don't mind I don't really mind the four games because first game okay you see the starters for like what a yeah. series maybe two maybe, maybe the maybe. first quarter at the most if they even come in second game okay now you see them for at least a quarter the third game is kind of like, all right, we're going to play them at least a half. Sometimes they go three quarters. And the last preseason game, they're just trying to get all the guys in who they need to evaluate at that right, point. Right. You might have the starters come out and play one series. Okay, we put our work in. Let's go to the bench. Mm-hmm. And now they're cheerleaders for the rest of the guys who are fighting for that final right. five or six spots. Sure. So anyway, back to what we were getting into. The Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Lots of people named. Well, usually they can elect between four <laughs> and seven every year. That's the that's All the right. number. <laughs> but I mean, th- this year the the class to me. So who we got? Brett Favre. I, Brett Favre. Yeah, I, I will say this. <laughs> Brett Favre's uh, something about Mary reference. For those of you who don't know. And when he was drafted, he was called Brett Favre, which makes it yeah. even funnier. But. You know, I look at this class. This, to me, is one of the most star-studded classes that I can personally remember myself. There have probably been others that are a little better, but... Okay. Ed DeBartolo Jr., mm-hmm. owner-president of the... Of the... Um, San Fran. 49ers, thank you. I had a minor brain cramp That's no, all right. It happens. So he, he was one of the founder, like foundation guys. He kind of laid some of the groundwork for some of the stuff that actually goes on now. And if you just, like, that Bill Walsh coaching tree, I mean, who came off of that is just an amazing. Guys like Andy Reid and so on and so forth. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame coach in my opinion, he did a great job in Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, he couldn't get the job done. He came up short. And then he all of a sudden goes to Indianapolis. He has Peyton Manning. He has this really good team. One of the guys going in with him, Marvin Harrison. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you look at that team, it's like, wow, they can do it. And they eventually did it. 
yeah. he was the first African American coach to win a foot to win a not a football game, to win a, a Super Bowl, which I thought was great. I mean, granted, it was against the Bears, and what I would probably call the Muck Bowl mm-hmm. because it was just raining the entire time. Thankfully, I slept through that one. <laughs> so yeah, Dungey, uh, I thought it was interesting too. Dungey went to the postseason eleven times in thirteen seasons um, when he was coaching the Bucks and the Colts. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was, and I I think he deserves it not only because he was the first African American head coach to win a Super Bowl, but because if you look at what he did, he took a Tampa Bay franchise that was frankly well relatively awful. And he brought them, he built them up into the team that they became. Ultimately, that team ended up being taken over by John Gruden, who in his first season won the Super Bowl. Hmm. Of course, the team he had played was a team he had coached the year before, Oakland Raiders. They didn't change a whole lot. Hmm. They still had relatively the same system and the same hand signals, so... We'll let everyone divulge that, it's or not divulge breaks, that, man. digest that, and and make your own conspiracy theory. Not really good, Obi. Turn it to Alex Jones here. We certainly <laughs> can do whatever you want, but anyway, I want to go back to the guy you touched on, Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Number four. In my opinion, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL history. But I'm not going to say he's, oh, the greatest of all time. Because when you get into the greatest of How all time... How do you really decide who's the greatest? Exactly. You're talking about errors. Because you want to talk greatest of all time, I'm going to go back to guys like Sammy Ball, Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, guys like that who they were on the field. They were the true field den- generals. Roger Staubach won as well. They called the plays. Sammy Ball, he pretty much did everything. He was a punter. He was a kicker. He played defense. He has, I think, 30 or 40-some career interceptions. But he was one of the ones that was kind of that pioneer of the forward passing game. He kind of helped it evolve. It had started in the 20s. He played in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And it really picked up steam with that downfield passing attack. Hmm. And then, of course, one, one guy I forgot, Bart Starr, who can kind of, kind of draw that line between Bart Starr and Brett Favre because they both played for the Packers. Both won Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, and we could talk about him a little bit. And then Kevin Green. Really good really good defensive player. Linebacker, defensive end. Mostly played linebacker. Started out at the... Started out at... Professional first show. Sorry, I didn't think that was going to happen. Okay, I thought you were talking about my phone. I apologize. No, no it's not you. <laughs> anyway, Kevin Green started out in the Rams organization as a linebacker, defensive mm-hmm. end. Yeah. Was was pretty good. Then eventually, during the free agency and everything in the early 90s, went to Pittsburgh. Right. Where he really took that next step, playing with guys like Greg Lloyd and some of the other linebackers they had. And they were that team that Neil O'Donnell and the Steelers, unfortunately, they played the Cowboys when they were really good. In the Super Bowl, they could have won it except O'Donnell threw two interceptions to Larry Brown. Sure. One, I believe, which was taken back for a touchdown. So that kind of tarnishes his legacy a little bit. But still, Kevin Green, in my opinion, one of the best linebackers, definitely of his era. I can't say of all time, simply because you. I mean, you just look at linebacker in general in the NFL history. There's a lot of good, a lot of good ones. But he was definitely one of the best of his era. Uh, and, uh, we touched on Marvin Harrison. I think he's definitely one of the best receivers in his era, late 80s, early 90s, into the 2000s. Kind of can't really kind of lump those eras together necessarily. Right. I would kind of say probably of like the late 90s and 2000s, he's one of the best. He's probably in like that top five to ten for sure. But then again, you look at who he played with, number 18, Peyton Manning. You know, I don't think though you can you can really argue with that combination. Eighty eighteen to eighty eight was a big number for many many years, and of course Orlando Pace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember who he is. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> I certainly will. Offensive tackle played his college ball at Ohio State. Was one of the best, in my opinion, from what I saw, one of the best offensive linemen I've seen in college. He was very dominant. Mm-hmm. Came into the NFL, number one overall pick by the Rams. 
And I think that was 96, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 97. Then all of a sudden, that team got really good because they got a lot of good players. They had Kurt Warner come on that team who, oh, yeah. you know, months before was throwing paper towels, you know, throwing paper bagging towel groceries. rolls and bagging groceries exactly in a, in, a, in a supermarket. And he came out of nowhere, takes his team to the Super Bowl and just wins MVP, wins Super Bowl MVP. And Orlando Pace was kind of one of the rocks, the, the cornerstones of that franchise because he was at left tackle. He was watching the blind side of the quarterback. And he, he was good. I mean, he was good for quite a few years. I, I thought he kind of got a bad rap because he did get injured at, you know, kind of towards the end a little bit. But still, he was one of the best, in my opinion. And the last one I'm going to mention is Ken Stabler. Hmm. Unfortunately, he goes into the hall posthumously because he passed away last year. And it kind of sucks, in my opinion, because guys like that, he should have been in the Hall of Fame a lot sooner than what he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think he... He basically didn't get a fair shake. Let's put it that way. He, He was one of the best quarterbacks of the 70s. He was one of those guys, yeah, granted, he doesn't have the huge numbers, but then look at guys like Bradshaw. Bradshaw didn't have huge numbers compared to today, but compared to his era in the 70s and 80s, he had good numbers. You know, back then, you could throw 20, 25 touchdowns, and it wasn't uncommon to have 10, 15 interceptions. Hmm. Nowadays, if we see a guy throw 30, 35 touchdowns, we expect him to have 10 interceptions or less. Like the the whole thing has changed, but you gotta understand, seventies and eighties the rules were different. This whole rule change started in like the late eighties, early nineties with the receivers and the quarterbacks, and of course, you know we come into today and we still got people talking about, oh I remember when this was this like it doesn't matter what it is now or what it was then, this is what the guys play in for the rules. So Ken Stabler, in my opinion, just from a lot of the stuff that I saw on like the old. Uh, NFL films and everything. I I think this was long overdue for him to be in in the Hall of Fame. That's a great breakdown there, Matt, and you really appreciate that. You know, of course, Brett Favre. How, how could he, how could he not be? You know, just one of those guys you knew was going to get there. Um, good for him to be there, and uh, hopefully, well, hopefully he doesn't come out of retirement now. Just I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think he can at this point. I, I don't think I he would, wants to because if he I don't did. Think so either, but. If he did, he would be broken the first time he got hit. Yeah, no, just, uh, he, the guy just wouldn't retire there for that, that period of time. Just wouldn't give up. I can understand that. He had a passion for the game. He loved it. He loved doing it. Tony Dungy, you know, there's just like, you think of like, when I think of like a person, and, a, you know, I don't, maybe there's someone who disagree, but I think of a good, decent person, you always think Tony Dungy when it comes to football and coaching and just a, a well-rounded, good, good, per- good guy, you know, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and. And I, I kind of like watching the the M, uh, NFL on NBC broadcast on Sunday nights because he does the studio work along with, um, I know it's Dan Patrick, I forgot who the other guy was, but that's regardless. Oh, Rodney Harrison, that's his name. So he does that, and, and he's really good. He's a really good analyst. I mean, I like it when guys like that, who especially a coach, because... You know, and we all think of John Madden. N- not a lot of people from probably like 1990 on that were born in 1990 and, and later know that John Madden was actually a really good coach in the 70s. Right. I mean, he, he coached the the Raiders for, what, eight, nine, ten years. Yeah. He went to the Super Bowl, I think, two times and won one. Or I could be wrong. I know, but I, but I know he did win one. So... People look at him, and like some people now might look at Tony Dungy in the same way and not realize that he was a really good coach. So it's like, okay, yeah, you might not realize it, but yeah, he was a really good coach. Yeah. Now you see him as an analyst, and it's just, it, it kind of gets lost sometimes. And, and I do the same thing with, with certain people, and I'm like, I don't realize how much of a really good player or coach they were back when they were you know active instead of now being an, an analyst or a, a color guy, whatever the case may be. But at least I have an advantage these days. I can look them up on the internet. Right. Twenty years ago, couldn't look anybody up on the internet. Sure. <laughs> you don't remember the internet as a kid. <laughs> All right. Very good. Okay. So, uh, anything else you want to say about the Hall of Fame? 
No, I mean, I'm just really interested to see to see some of the speeches. I kind of wish they had it the way it used to be when you could actually have someone come up to the podium and do the speech to induct you. But now they've kind of gone to this whole video thing, and it's okay, but it to me it kind of loses the luster. I wish they'd kind of go back to the way it was. and It might just me being nostalgic because mm-hmm. of seeing it for all these years, but... To me, it makes more sense. I think what they should do if they're going to do that, and I really wish they would, just say, okay, you have a 10-minute limit. And then you put, like, a 10-minute limit on the person being inducted. Mm -hmm. So that way you don't have, like, this five-hour-long induction ceremony. But that'll probably never change because it's the NFL. (laughs) All right. So what do you want to move to next? I don't know. What do we have on the docket here? Um, Uh... Uh, well, we got the Nolan Ryan Robin Ventura thing, and uh, there was something else. Uh... Oh, Brian Dawkins now in the front office of the Eagles. Oh yeah, go for it. Let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I'm surprised. I mean, when I saw him go to ESPN to be an analyst, I thought, oh great, guy from Clemson played in Philly, played in Denver, really liked him. You know, it, he he might he's definitely in my top five all time favorite mm-hmm. Eagles. I don't know where exactly I'd put him, but I, you know, kind of think number one to me is always going to be probably like Reggie White. Yeah, oh, but of course, I mean, yeah. but then I kind of, I kind of put Reggie White and Jerome Brown in, in the same category, so they can be one, one and one A. But anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Dawkins, I, I was actually kind of surprised. I just happened to be reading it, and I actually think I saw it on ESPN, or maybe I don't know if it was on Bleacher Report or wherever it was. I was just like. Brian Dawkins is going to the Eagles front office. Like, what the heck? He's going to be a scout. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw a picture of him last week. He was on the sideline. He, on the picture, it said he had the roster in his hand. So I'm like, all right, well, he's he's getting dirty with this. He's getting in there. I, I, personally, I think it's great. You bring a guy in who was a part of the franchise for, what, 10 or 12 years, whatever yeah. it was is one of probably the best Eagles of all time. I'm not going to say he's the best because, again, when we get into the whole era thing, but I know he's one of the most beloved Eagles of all time. Everybody loved him because mm-hmm. when he went on the field, Weapon X, as he was called, he left it on the field. I mean, I loved watching number 20 flying around and just trying to drill anything that moved. Friend or foe, hopefully mostly foe. <laughs> Occasionally, you're gonna hit a friend. Yeah, so he's gonna, like you said, he's gonna be working on the scouting team. Yeah, and like... and I I kind of hope. I mean, he's young enough. He's I think he's probably like 40s, maybe For, early 42. 40. Is what 42, okay. So I, I want to see him climb that ladder. I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna be a GM one day, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if he was. That's what they say. Wouldn't it be great? To, a lot of the articles say, wouldn't it be great to see him as GM someday? Or it, it would, but I mean, let's okay. see what happens. Uh, right. You know. <laughs> Let, let's just see how he does with his scouting because yeah. he went from being a player to now being an analyst, mm-hmm. and he was an analyst for I believe uh, he retired two years, 2011. So however long he, I don't. I, know. I think he was with ESPN for two years, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But and now all of a sudden you have him going to do this the scouting job and I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys as a former player. I'm not saying he's going to climb that ladder quickly, but I think he's going to climb that ladder, and if not general manager, maybe somewhere high up, right below there. If he becomes GM of the Eagles one day, mm-hmm. I would love it. I just don't want to see this team go to crap like it did after that late 80s, early 90s team yep. have those couple of years where it's, well, not couple of years, it was like, what, five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it was. Then Andy Reid takes over, and boom, that's when they got really good. Of course, now we've kind of hit the lull again in Philly, but we'll we'll get back. We'll get back there, yeah. That's right, baby. <laughs> you know? No, yeah, it's great to see him back, number 20. Um, you know, something about... Philadelphia sports and number twenty as a big Mike Schmidt fan. He yeah, that's that's. 20. I didn't even think about so, that, but yeah, I mean, some, something about that. But uh, I like how it, it, when he's talking about being uh, the scout, one of the things he wants to do is find players that love the game like he did, and he just said he just loved to play. So uh, what, what 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 a lot of the articles are saying, which is a. But I just I want I just want to touch on that point real quick. We're talking about Brian Dawkins wants to find guys who love the game as much as he did. Yeah. I can't think of a player outside of 
Ray Lewis and probably Brett Favre and maybe a couple others in the last 20 years that loved football right. more than Ray Dawkins. I mean, when he left Philly, it was a sad day. I know, it even says I, uh, he didn't want to leave. I know. Against his the, wishes. He, he hit that point when the front office thought, nah, you're not going to be as productive. But what did he do? He went to Denver, proved everybody wrong, which mm. I thought was great. That's what I wanted to see. Granted, it wasn't in Philly, but it was in Denver where he he finished his career. And, you know, just to see him in this capacity now is great. I really, I really kind of want that, and I know – when they were talking about the whole GM thing or the general manager in Philly after they had let Chip Kelly go, a lot of people were saying they wanted to see Ron Jaworski as a general manager. That's another guy who loves football. Yep. Because, you know, 28 hours a day, eight days a week, Ron Jaworski is watching game film. <laughs> That's a joke, just so you know. Trust me, if you know Frank Caliendo, you know his imitations, you'd understand. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know who Frank Caliendo is, look him up. Hilarious. Anyway, it's just one of those things where could you imagine Brian Dawkins as a scout, Ron Jaworski as a general manager of the Eagles? Jeez. Two of probably the most beloved Eagles of all time because – at the you know in the late seventies early eighties people liked Ron Jaworski but I don't think they liked him as much as they do now looking back on his career, but with, but with Brian Dawkins you and I both saw Philadelphia fans including the both of us loved him. Yep, yep. I I still loved him. Like I said when he went to ESPN I thought awesome. I get to watch him how many times a week now, and now that he's the, a scout in the in the Eagles organization I'm like okay. Maybe this is the next step that the Eagles need to take to get better, to get better players on the team. I don't know. I'm not saying they ever did a horrible job because I really don't think they did. I just want to see this team go from where they were probably the, not the last two or three years of the Andrew Reid era, but kind of in that early to mid. We just wanted to be good. (laughs) Right, but I'm just saying, if we can get back to, I'll just say this, like 2004 through 2007. Okay. When they were one of the best teams in the league. You know, I would love to get back to that point. I'm not saying they got to win the Super Bowl, but honestly, I'm 37. I want to see them win one before I die. Mm-hmm. Of course, I hope I, so. I don't care if I'm 80 and they win the freaking thing. I just want to see one. That's all. I see one. one Super Bowl. Bring me one Lombardi trophy and I'll be happy. <laughs> the Phillies have brought me two World Series trophies in my lifetime. In 1980, I was a year old. I don't remember. In 2008, I was 29. I remember. Do you remember it. that one? I loved it. Yes, right. I remember sitting on my couch, the second half of the game, from the previous night because it, <laughs> it rained that bad. Mm. They basically played the last three and a half innings, and I remember pretty much almost like it was yesterday. Wow, good stuff. Yeah, it'll be nice to see Dawkins back there. So. It would. I mean, and, and you know, just a, a brief synopsis of championships in my lifetime. Again, we've touched on the Phillies. Eagles have been to two Super Bowls, haven't done much in either of them. And as I said, I'm a Lakers fan. In that time frame, from 1979 through today, the Lakers have won ten championships. <laughs> so think, think about that. If I solely watch basketball, I could say I could die a happy man because the yeah. Lakers in my lifetime have won ten championships, five of which I vividly remember because they were the first three in the two thousands with Shaq and Kobe, and then Kobe in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. I need some new teams. <laughs> it's just the era I, w- oh, I I grew up watching basketball, which we've discussed before, because in the eighties. You didn't have this huge coverage you have of the NBA mm-hmm. where it's on ESPN two, three, sometimes four nights a week, yeah. and TNT having their games and stuff. I mean, back then it was literally you saw a game on like Saturday or Sunday, and it was either the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Sixers because the market weren't in the Philadelphia area, the Rockets, who were a pretty decent team around then, and maybe one or two other teams. Outside of that... You pretty much got the Sixers, the Lakers, and the Celtics. Those were the three main teams around here. Nationwide, it was pretty much Boston, 
whoever they were playing, and L.A., whoever they were playing. And if they were playing each other, that's what you saw. Right, right. Kind of like today with, I hate beating this like a dead horse, but the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. ESPN, if you hear this, find different rivalries. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, okay. On that, let's move on to the last topic, and I'll probably go through this a little quick. But 23 years ago today was the famous uh, fight between Robin Ventura and Nolan Ryan, in which uh, the the uh, postings about it, the uh, Facebook trending says that Nolan Ryan kicked his butt. So uh, to me, it just looks like, I mean, definitely Nolan Ryan had the upper hand, but it turns into an all-out brawl, so I'm not sure you can say anybody really won. Well, I mean, and and my remembrance of this, seeing it as many times as I did, first of all, I understand Nolan Ryan at the time was 42 years old, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was in his early 40s, but the guy's like, what, 6'5", probably at that time, was probably, I'd say, around 215, 220, still had an amazing fastball. I mean, that's basically all he threw his entire career is fastballs. I think he threw in a changeup and a curveball every once in a while. But at 42, seeing the Ryan Express coming at you, and you get hit by it, don't get me wrong, Robin Ventura. You know, and I kind of started walking away, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, and see, I don't understand. It's like, to me, if you get hit by a pitch, just either take your base or go to the mound. Yeah. yeah. One of the two. But, like, just, just kind of seeing he takes, like, what, two or three steps. Yeah, and then kind of stops to, and hesitates. Bolts to the mound yeah. and, like, does that hesitation. And then Nolan just gets that left arm around him and just starts pounding him in the top of the head. I'm like... Well, that's kind of the way we used to fight as kids sometimes, where someone charges at you, and you just, like, grab him and start beating him on the top of the head. And it's just funny, because it looked like he took a couple steps, and then, like, just a tinge of a hesitation venture, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're going to take off. Like, yeah, I mean... Like something just ticked him off, like... But it's like, I'm sorry, yeah, Robin Ventura, young kid at the time, now the, the manager of the White Sox, but I, I think if that's one thing in his career he could take back, I think that would be it. Personally, if that was me, I would have wanted to take that back. No, I, like, at, like after the game, I would have went to the Rangers locker room and requested to speak with Nolan Ryan right. and, like, got on my hands and knees and said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I should not have done that. Sure. You are a baseball god. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just kind of funny. It's like Nolan Ryan, 42, probably, like I said, 6'4", 6'5", whatever he is, still a big guy. Robin Ventura, I think, was like 6'2", and probably around like 200, maybe 210. Good player, mm-hmm. but you don't want to mess with Nolan Ryan because just because he's old doesn't mean he ain't tough. I still wouldn't want to mess with him today, and I think he's like, what, 70? <laughs> yeah, well, 23, <laughs> if he was 42, he'd be 65. So. I think he's I, – I, I could be wrong, but still, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's one guy you didn't want to mess with. Yeah, he was uh, Ventura was 26 at the time, and he went against 46-year-old okay, 46 Rangers year old. pitcher right. Nolan Ryan, who proceeded to hammer Ventura. <laughs> That's putting it lightly, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just kind of think about that, and just just think about the way things were done mm-hmm. then in those instances, as the way they are now. Like back then, okay, we know the unwritten rules of baseball: you hit my guy, I hit your guy, we're even. These yeah. days, if you've watched a lot of baseball and you see that, it kind of gets out of hand. It's like, okay, I hit your guy, and it's a, it's a pitch that does get away. Well, then you automatically think the next half inning, you got to get their guy. Yeah, yeah. And then turn around the next half inning, again, I get your guy. Oh, and then the next half inning, you get my guy. Now it's to the point where it's like as soon as somebody gets hit by a pitch, if they know there's any malicious intent, warning, warning. You've now just taken the fun out of the game. <laughs> it's like, I understand the unwritten rules, but I just look at it like, no, you, you have to stop. When does this become common sense? Yeah. Answer that question, probably never. Yeah. Because we're dealing with guys, and you know what guys have? Egos. Right, right. Specialized baseball players make lots of money. Big egos. So they don't want to be shown up by somebody. And uh, I'm now done. <laughs> I guess a couple of years ago, they actually got together and talked about it, uh, Venture and uh, Ryan. Ryan always says he's, he never harbored any uh, ill will, and uh, the question is, what? well, why would he? <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. 
Why would he? He had the upper hand. Apparently Ventura has uh, had a little problem, you know, was upset about it at one point, but he got over it, of course. We're talking 20-some years ago. I think I'd be over it by now, especially in, you know, the heat of a sports battle. You know, if they figure out eventually it's got to pass. So, yeah, that's great stuff. And, uh, man, Nolan Ryan. I watched a DVD with him, or a documentary, called Fastball. It's on Netflix. If you guys get a chance to check it out. It's all about the fastball, how fast he threw, and other players. Okay. I was just gonna say, is it because I know, like, I saw there was something a couple years ago, like this. I can't remember. I think it was on the MLB Network where they were like trying to take guys, like I don't know if they were former players, about throwing a knuckleball. Hmm. The, yeah, but this is this is an actual documentary about like the history of the fastball, I guess. Um, it's about the fastball throwing it, how fast guys okay. threw, That's cool. like trying to determine like. You know, they, they measured the first guy who ever threw a fastball at like 80-some miles per hour, which doesn't seem like a lot when you're talking about today's era, but then they calculated that the way they measured it, it was probably closer to like the 100-something range because it was... But not only that, when baseball first started, I think the mound was kind of low, if I'm not mistaken, and and it was kind of... I don't, I don't really want to use this term, but baseball back then, late 1800s, early well, 1900s... They didn't really start measuring uh, scientifically till about the 40s. Right, um, but I'm just saying, baseball back then was archaic. Even as you're getting into the 30s and 40s, still a little bit archaic just due to, I mean, it's yeah. a step up, I should say, from archaic right. because the equipment starts to get better at that point, but well, was, I, I understand what you're saying, though. And they didn't really have radar guns until even till about even the, I think it was the 90s or something like that, so they were like, you know, guess not guessing, but a, a lot of uh, the ways they would, they had like various different, devices they set up back in like the 30s to like you know some guy would be a really good fastballer they'd set it up and they said the way that they set up these devices like one of them was set up by home plate well i don't know if you know nowadays the radar actually measures just slightly a couple feet in front of the pitcher as the ball leaves his hand so if you get an 83 mile per hour ball in front of home plate it's actually like 98 or something like that when it leaves the pitcher's hand which is what it would be measured at today so it's interesting to see, like, there was, you know, there was a lot of these people coming on saying, you know, fastballs have gotten quicker over time, and then when they actually looked at it scientifically, it's like, not really. It's pretty much probably been about the same well, for, yeah. you know, your good players. Right, but I mean, if you think about this, like you're saying, they were measuring it at home plate, yeah. and now they measure it pretty much as it's coming out of the pitcher's hand. Yeah. I mean, just just think to back, and let's just say, let's go back to a guy like, um, oh boy, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Jim Cott. Mm-hmm. wasn't didn't have the fastest ball in the world he probably was like a he was probably i'd say probably uh upper 80s lower 90s but as his career goes on as most players and most pitchers do velocity goes down mm-hmm. then you look at guys and just take the mets starting pitchers for example matt harvey noah Syndergaard, mats and I'm drawing a blank on the other one, but I'll eventually think of it. And if I don't, anyway. I mean, those guys throw heat the entire game. Even Justin Verlander, when he... I think when he threw one of his no-hitters, like... In the in the ninth inning, like, he struck a guy out at 98 miles an hour. Nice. I mean, you're talking nine innings, over 100 pitches for mo- in most cases for a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're still throwing 98. It's like, what are you doing? And then, then you have these specialty guys like Arolas Chapman who comes in and pitches maybe an inning to two innings tops. And he's just throwing gas the entire time. 100, 102, 103. I mean, it's amazing. And then kind of go back to like a reliever that the Phillies had in the early 2000s, Billy Wagner. That, to me, he was like the first guy that, that I was aware of that threw 100 miles an hour. There yeah. might have been others before that, but none that I knew at that point because, sure. you know. But anyway, so it's just you see how baseball has evolved for one, and you see a lot of other things, yeah. you know. And it's, the technology today is amazing. Yeah, I really wish they would go to this whole computerized type thing for balls and strikes, but... There's always going to be the human element. I don't want them to take it completely out. I just think for certain things, there's all this complaining about the strike zone, which we both played Little League. From the chest, <laughs> we'll call it the nipples to the knees. Basically, that's what it was. 
nipples to the knees you know, to the you know how it's going to be if they ever do do something computer electronic robotic whatever oh, oh i know I then there'll be complaints about that too so it's oh it, no it's I, I, I agree and and that's that's, that's a topic just, for an entirely we we could yeah. talk all day about all that right one. so check out that fastball movie on netflix if you get a chance and that's about all we have time for this evening so i guess we'll just say goodbye and we'll talk to you next week and as always if you find yourself bored and you have netflix Check out the ESPN 30 for 30s. They're pretty good. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Take it easy.